Kim Schmidt, Managing Editor of Farm Equipment. Welcome to Farm Equipment's Used Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps podcast. In this episode, brought to you by Iron Solutions, host Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC talks with Dr. Barry Flinchbaugh, Professor Emeritus of Agriculture Economics at Kansas State University. Dr. Flinchbaugh is an active participant in the development of U.S. ag policy. If you're tuning in for the first time, I encourage you to subscribe via iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, or TuneIn Radio. By subscribing, you are alerted when each upcoming episode is released. Before we turn things over to Casey and Barry, a quick word from Iron Solutions, who's making this podcast a reality. Iron Solutions provides dealers with an array of lifecycle management services that drive sales and profits. Their Iron Search and Iron Guides are all about managing your dealership more efficiently and profitably. While Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your equipment online to a wider universe of buyers, visit www.ironsolutions.com today. All right, so let's go ahead and just jump right into this. There's a new president here, been president for about 10 months, and there's been a lot of a lot of changes. I guess from a political perspective, he's quite a bit different than, than everybody else we've had up to this point. And what do you see with the Trump uh, administration, and, and how, how is he going to be a, a, a positive effect on, on the agricultural economy? Well, frankly, I'm very concerned about his um, position on trade. Um how he handles it. He's very much um, uh, in the corner where you do bilateral agreements country by country and doesn't support um, multilateral agreements like NAFTA. And of course, he, the fifth day in office, he pulled out a TPP. So the Secretary of Agriculture and the rest of us that uh, uh, try to work with ag policy have our work cut out for us to try to get him to understand how important uh, uh, trade agreements are to agriculture. We export about 27% of our production. The big portion of it goes to uh, countries that um, uh, are part of uh, multilateral agreements like um, NAFTA. There's a a serious problem here, and we've got to get him convinced that, uh, for example, how important NAFTA is to agriculture. Uh, um, If you look at uh, Canada and Mexico, uh, Mexico, for example, is our number one corn customer. They're in the top 10 in in wheat and pork and beef and beans, and it, it just goes on and on, and they're very, very important. I'm quite concerned about it. With your interactions with, with, with NAFTA and, and the stuff that's going on now, kind of response from Mexico and Canada both about NAFTA and where we're at right now? Well, Mexico and Canada are, want to definitely continue NAFTA. They're participating, of course, in the negotiations. And uh, NAFTA's 23 years old, so um, I have no quarrel with updating it and bringing it into the 21st century and the computer age and so forth. But uh, the problem that we have with NAFTA is of our own makings rather than than Mexico and and Canada. I think the president is probably quite surprised at how Mexico has stood up to him. Of course, the president of Mexico refused to come to the White House and after uh, he be- after Trump became president. And, you know, they have some. Uh, power and influence, and when they're as good a customer as they are, we have to treat them somewhat as equals, and, uh, and of course, we've had a long, long, friendly relationship with Canada, 
Now, there are some trade problems there, of course. Uh, uh, agriculture uh, is heavily involved in it, especially the dairy uh, program, and there's um, some issues over forestry and, and uh, Mexico. There's some issues over um, uh, fruits and vegetables, and we have what might be referred to as a tomato war with Mexico. But one of the things that we... We seem not to understand very well is that they they have other places to go and, and buy products uh, like Brazil, for example, in Argentina, and and uh, given the political atmosphere, um, they're certainly working with uh, Brazil and Argentina. And now the, those two countries cannot uh, completely replace the United States, but they can certainly put a dent in. Um, our exports to Mexico. So uh, I frankly don't think the problem is Mexico and certainly not Canada, except for these issues, for example, in dairy and forestry. But um, the negotiations have gotten kind of rocky. They were supposed to be done by the end of the year, and now they're saying March. Uh, trade negotiations go very, very slow. And when you get to the crossing the T's and dotting the I's, it gets pretty tense. But, uh, and, of course, we still don't have a um, ag trade ambassador um, uh, appointed. Uh, Greg Dowd has uh, come out of committee, but um, uh, one of the senators has um, got a hold on his confirmation, and uh, uh, it could be the first of the year before we get an ag trade ambassador involved in the NASA negotiations, and um, that's a problem also. It's not just the administration. It's, uh, this, this Senate is so slow, very difficult for them to get anything done and get an agreement, and um, these appointments have been held up, which um, isn't good for the ag economy. So what kind of lag could you see this present into 2018 with, I'm sure they're going to operate under the current NAFTA agreement that's here. Moving into 2018, I mean, this has got to create some level of apprehension and um, some sense of instability in, in the marketplace, you know, with, with Mexico and Canada both. How, how is that going to, how do you think that's going to affect 2018 with those uh, trade partners? Well, we have an abundance of um, production. Now is not the time to be messing with markets like that. And this instability, not knowing when we're going to get anything done with NAFTA or uh, is the president going to pull the plug, which um, based on what he said and his actions so far, you know he would like to do that. Uh, just as he's done with TPP. And, and um, so this is going to bring quite a bit of instability in 18 and certainly could affect the markets. Um, uh, and with this huge supply that we have, uh, uh, it could be a pretty tough year. So give, give me a sense of what the overall impact would be if we woke up tomorrow, or January 1st, 2018, administration has said, you know what, we're, we're not going to longer be a part of NAFTA continue to just sell our goods on the open marketplace without any bilateral trade agreements with Canada or Mexico. What kind of effect would that have on our on our overall agricultural economy? You know, it would be so devastating, I don't want to even think about it. If we pull the plug on NAFTA, talk about instability and, and, and talk about a, um, a drop in market prices, um, I can't even imagine how to bad it would be. It's just as 
frankly, even stupid to think about. If you have any understanding of agriculture trade, this thing wouldn't even be on the table in terms of pulling the plug. And, and, and Secretary Purdue knows that. The reason we have negotiations instead of pulling the plug to begin with, because when he uh, got into office, he immediately explained to the president how serious that would be. And uh, But he's got his work cut out for him to keep the president on track because uh, he thinks that he's done the right thing on TPP and his trip to um, Asia has convinced him even more that he can do this bilateral country-by-country country deals, the art of the deal, so to speak, that simply doesn't work for agricultural products. I, I just think that, um, you know, we have to constantly... Remind the White House how important this is to agriculture. Uh, some of the advisors in the White House, like um, Peter Navarro, for example, and the Treasury Secretary, or not the Treasury Secretary, but the Commerce Secretary, uh, stir the waters and, and, and support the president and help him explain the idea that we'll do this bilaterally instead of with trade agreements. So uh, he's getting some poor advice. Uh, especially NAFTA. I mean, it's it's worked very well for all three countries. I'm very blunt about it. I, I just think the whole thing is stupid to even think about withdrawing. Renegotiating, yes. Bringing it up to date, fine. But the president needs to frankly shut up about with, uh, pulling the plug. Uh, it's just not, I don't know who it's good for. And I, uh, it would be a real blow to agriculture. I can't, can't be more emphatic about it. No, I, I agree with what you're saying. I mean, I when I hear him talk about pulling the plug and talking like that, it does scare me a lot to hear that, to hear them say that. And the yeah. idea that we're going to somehow bully our way into it or, or if that's the right term or not. But President Trump has a he, – he's really good about letting his advisors advise. And, and I think Sonny Perdue, Agriculture Secretary Sonny Perdue, has a, has a pretty good feel for what the overall marketplace is. And, and to me, it seems like he's – it seems like he's doing a good job. It seems like he's he's talking the right things and, and, and bringing up the right points and, and pointing the you know the ship in the right direction. So give me your opinion of, of that, like Secretary Purdue, and, and keeping the, the train on the, on the track. Well, I couldn't be more positive about uh, the Secretary. He, from day one, he has laid it on the table. He understands it. He's got a ton of experience. He's a veterinarian and a grain producer from cotton country. And he can he can bring the commodity groups together. He he can fashion a policy for agriculture. And you know, I just don't find uh, everything I see about him so far. I'm very pleased with. And he's got one tough job to keep Trump on track on some of this stuff. And uh, you know, the uh, the first thing that he faced was um, the president's budget cut USDA twenty one percent. Uh, and of course, uh, White House budgets are dead on arrival at, on Capitol Hill, but uh, Purdue came right out of the chute and, and said he does not support that budget, which was developed, of course, before he came on board. Uh, so he showed quite a bit of guts, frankly, and uh, so as upset as I get with, with Trump on some of this stuff, I'm very pleased with um, Purdue and uh, so far, he can can um, bring the president around at least temporarily. He president appears to be listening on the secretary, but he, if you don't watch him, he'll fall back to his old beliefs and. 
So Purdue has got to be constantly alert. It's amazing, frankly, that what Trump believes are and so forth, that he appoints a secretary like Purdue and does listen to him. So if that keeps up, we should come out of this thing all right. In the meantime, there is certainly a lot of instability and, and uncertainty, and uh, Trump would quit tweeting about some of this stuff and, and just let the secretary do his job, well, I think it'll work. And then and, and we got a crack at that happening, so that comforts me some. some. Sometimes I wish they would just take his Twitter away. I mean, it, he does more damage than good sometimes <laughs> well, with that. It's funny. It makes me laugh yeah. at some of the stuff he says, but... It's, some, it's not necessarily the most productive thing in the world. Well, most of the trouble he's been in has come from his early morning tweets. and, and um, But I don't think we're going to talk him out of that. So, uh, daughter and son-in-law can't talk him out of it. I don't know who could. And so, right. we're simply going to have to put up with it and work with it. We'll get back to Casey and Barry in a minute, but first a quick word from the company who made this podcast possible, Iron Solutions. Iron Solutions has deep roots in the ag industry with products for producers, dealers, manufacturers, ag retailers, and service providers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com to see solutions that streamline your operation, improve productivity, reduce costs, and speed your growth. Casey and Barry started off their conversation discussing President Trump's first year in the White House and what sort of impact the U.S. dropping out of NAFTA would have on the ag economy. Here's Casey with a quick message about moving iron. Hello, I'm Casey Seymour, and I want to thank Farm Equipment Magazine for partnering with me to bring you the Farm Equipment Podcast Series, Use Equipment Remarketing Roadmaps. The podcasts are taken from my weekly podcast, Moving Iron Podcast. Moving Iron Podcast is a podcast designed for ag equipment dealers by ag equipment dealers. The weekly podcast focuses on current events and trends across the ag equipment marketplace in North America. Along with dealers, I interview the biggest names in the ag industry. Chip Nellinger of Blue Reef Aga Marketing is a regular guest talking about commodity markets and risk management. You can also hear guests like Greg Machinery Pete Peterson and Tyne Morgan of the U.S. Farm Report. If you are in the ag equipment business or have an interest in the ag equipment business, this is a must listen for you. You can find the podcast at movingironllc.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, and SoundCloud. Also at movingironllc.com, you can find information on the 2018 Moving Iron Summit in Las Vegas, past and current episodes of Moving Iron Podcast, and articles from the Moving Iron blog. Throughout the year, there will be guest bloggers writing on various topics from their point of view. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC, or you can find me on LinkedIn. And if you would like, you can send me an email at Moving Iron Podcast at movingironpodcast.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Thanks, Casey. Let's get back to the program now and listen in as Barry and Casey discuss trade with Asian countries and the U.S. pulling out of TPP. They also get into how Russia will impact the overall ag marketplace. Like we talked about earlier, about the fourth day of him being president, he pulled out of TPP. Um, I wasn't necessarily an overwhelmingly big fan of, of what I you know, read and understand of the TPP, but it seems like over the last 30 or so days, he's kind of changed his mind a little bit on TPP, but also, like you said, you know, dealing with China uh, over the uh, two weeks uh, he was in Asia, it seemed like he maybe shifted back to his original thought process. So 
talk to us about you know TPP and and where that would go and what that would look like for agriculture. Well, TPP, I would argue, would have been would have been very good for agriculture. The estimate is it would would increase our income roughly five billion a year. Now, the problems with TPP are primarily in other sectors of the economy, uh, not agriculture. Right. The ag part of it I was a fan of. When Trump was in Asia, I I think he was fairly startled by the other 11 countries that uh, formed TPP decided at the meeting in Vietnam to go ahead and and, um, put it into operation. And, And it's basically on track without the United States. That frankly puts us out to lunch. If instead of pulling out, uh, Trump would have consider, insisted on some renegotiation and get some things changed in it and get his uh, uh, commerce secretary involved, uh, I think we could have improved upon it. You know, that's 40% of world trade. And when he went into China to deal with the premier there, uh, he could have gone as the most powerful leader in a trade agreement that has 40% of world trade. China would have had no choice, but to, instead he went in as, you know, the president of the United States, but he didn't have the, the power behind him that he would have had if we'd have been working with TPP. And, you know, I'm getting outside my area of expertise a little bit, but... I don't see how we're going to um, make much progress with North Korea if if China won't do it. Being outside of TPP, we we don't have as much influence over China. Uh, I wish he would have been willing to negotiate it instead of pull out of it, and he could still, I'm sure they'd take us in if he'd change his mind, but uh, he doesn't like to change his mind. And um, I'm sure Purdue and, and um, uh, some of his other advisors are working on him on that. But uh, I, I think another part of the problem is the Commerce Secretary. He doesn't, he first of all doesn't know anything about agriculture. Before Purdue came on board, he kind of got involved in, in it as far as trade agreements were concerned. And and, of course, at first, we didn't have an ag secretary or we didn't have a, a USTR um, representative. Now that we have those two on board, why uh, that can and help blunt the, those, the ideas of the, the commerce secretary, which kind of followed fairly much in line with, with, with the president. And um, I've always been of the opinion that the more you sit down with countries and talk to them, and the more you trade with them, the more you get their economies interwoven, uh, the more peaceful the world's going to be. Because if you're trading together and depending on each other, and you do this in a block, you not only have political influence, but you have economic power. We just need to be in more of a cooperative spirit instead of trying to bully our way through. So with his trip to China... And he came back. It seems like a lot of good stuff has come from that. I mean, at least from what I hear in the news anyway. How do you feel about that, you know, the outcomes of that trip? And, and, and how do you think that's going to reflect um, in agriculture? Well, you know, I think he had a fairly good trip, productive trip. It's, um, number one, it showed that the, the United States understands the importance of Asia. And he's evidently developed a pretty good relationship with the 
the Chinese premier and the, the Japanese prime minister. But he didn't come back with very much in hand in terms of uh, any new agreements or anything. Um, it's positive for agriculture, but it, it uh, uh, it's just the beginning. They're developing a relationship with in Asia and uh, especially Japan and, and um, China because they're, they're good markets. You know, and if we just signed on to TPP, we'd have had the tariff on our agriculture commodities going into Japan would be 5 to 10% instead of 45%. For beef, for example, and where if things fall right in 18, we should be for the first time a um, net beef exporter. And Japan's pretty key to that. And um, the, the beef market is now opening up in China. The middle class in China is growing rapidly. Uh, that's a long-term potential good market, um, but we have to uh, play our cards correctly. And, uh, you know, the, the real thing behind TPP, and yes, it could be really improved um, across the board as far as commerce is concerned and so forth, and I can see where the commerce secretary is coming from. There's one big bully in China, in, in Asia, and that's China. You have a trade block that has Japan in it, and Canada, and Mexico, and the United States, etc. Now you've got two boys, and they have to deal with each other from a position of power. If you, with, with TPP now formed, but Without the United States, you know, China can play one against the other. The real beneficiary of Trump pulling out of TPP was China. The other country that I wanted to talk to you about in some detail here would be would be Russia. So with with the stuff that's happening in Russia and and you know their ability to grow to grow wheat and, and do the things that they're doing, how how is Russia going to affect the overall ag marketplace? We start looking at you know, the Black Sea regions and in southern Russia, where there's, there's there's a lot of wheat that's growing, and it does affect the world supply. What do you see um, happening with Russia, and, and how do, how does that with your the, with your connections and the people that you've talked to? How is Russia going to affect the U.S. marketplace, and how do you see Russia's involvement in in U.S. agriculture take place over the next two or three years? Uh, well, Russia's not near as important as Asia. When you look at China and Japan, for example, the Russian economy's in bad shape. Uh, it, it's going to be difficult for for Russia to get its act together. Uh, yeah, they got plenty of land and they can grow wheat, but their marketing system leaves a lot to be desired. Their political system is basically Putin, period. We're almost back to the days of the czars, because uh, Putin's basically functioning as a czar. That is not very conducive for economic development. That's not very conducive to um, increase yields, uh, etc. to do the research and so forth. And the way Putin's behaving, nobody wants to cooperate with him. Now, he and uh, the president seem to have this affinity for each other. I don't know how you quite explain it, uh, they evidently talked for an hour on the phone this morning about uh, Syria and uh, North Korea. They didn't evidently say anything about the Russians interfering in our election and the uh, elections in Germany and France, for example. 
they're a player in the world agricultural economy, but they're they're way down the line compared to Asia and um, Western Europe and so forth. So, so I don't see them having much influence. They don't have that system organized to take advantage of their natural resources and so forth. And they could be a much player in agri- much bigger player in agriculture, but uh, they got political problems that prevent that from happening. So I don't see them having much of an effect on the markets and so forth. Not near like you know, as I said earlier, the the TPP countries with United, if you not and the United States is forty percent of world trade. And you look at the, uh, the list of who's buying U.S. agriculture products. You look at the top. Say 15, um, Russia will be in there because of the bottom. You know, we need to pay attention to them, but uh, they certainly are in top priority. Dr. Flinchboff, I may ask, how long have you been involved in ag policy legislation? <laughs> well, my good friend Senator Roberts likes to say that I helped Calvin Coolidge write the first farm bill. <laughs> and uh, that's not true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> The first farm bill I was involved in was in 1968 with Earl Butts, and I was at Purdue working on a PhD. And it kind of cut my eye teeth with with Butts and the other professors at Purdue. Um, so I I've been involved with every farm bill since '68, and goes back a long ways. Uh, I've been here 46 years. I've had somewhere around 4,500 students, and there uh, I'm, I'm still teaching an ag policy course. And, uh, still sending these young college graduates to Washington to work. So um, it's been a great ride, and it, it um, still has a few miles to go, I, I think. Yeah. So since 1968, have you had compared this time frame that we're in right now? Would you say that it is? I, I, I've never seen anything quite like this, especially in the White House. I mean, this is a most unusual president, and, um, you know, you never know for sure what he's going to tweet, or, uh, and he's awfully hard to predict, and USDA, of course, doesn't have, uh, Purdue doesn't have a staff, two or three, when he needs 10 or 11 in his inner staff. That's partially the White House's fault, but uh, it takes the Senate forever to get anything done, and um, so I've never seen this kind of dysfunction, uncertainty, from a political standpoint, so it, it, it's kind of new territory, and it, is, it certainly isn't dull. you got to pay close attention every day to know what's going on. But, uh, you know, we've had some tough times politically before, and uh, we'll handle it. As, as my uh, dad used to say, this too shall pass. So I feel like that we have a, a pretty good synopsis of, of what we have in store for us here um, as far as ag policy goes and, and what what the kind of the the theater looks like now and i'd like to thank you for being on the podcast thanks casey and dr flinchbog we've got even more used equipment remarketing resources we're sending your way in addition to this podcast we're also tapping into casey's expertise across all our informational channels including an ask the expert feature on our website where you can ask him your questions directly. Check it out and submit a question at farm-equipment.com backslash expert. Thanks once again to Iron Solutions for sponsoring this series. Iron Solutions provides dealers like you with an array of life cycle management services that drive sales and profits. 
The Iron Search and Iron Guide suite of solutions is all about managing each dealership more efficiently and profitably, while Iron Search allows you to directly showcase your used equipment online to a wider universe of buyers. Visit www.ironsolutions.com today. If you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest news by registering online to receive our free newsletter. Visit www.farm-equipment.com. We hope you'll tune in with us for our next episode when Casey reviews the Sinclair Tractor Auction. For Casey and Dr. Flinchball, as well as our entire staff here at Farm Equipment, I'm Kim Schmidt. Thanks for listening.